Welcome to the Walking in Purpose podcast, where we teach you how to discover your God-ordained purpose for your life and relationships. And I'm your host, Charles Wonsism. Now, let's get after it. Hello, guys. How are you all doing? It is great to be here again, sharing God's truth to you at this point in time. And I believe that you're not here by mere coincidence. God ordained this meeting with him so that you can hear his words. And I hope you are richly blessed by the end of this podcast. With the easing of the restrictions, you know, people are gradually coming back to life. You know, I see a lot of people out there taking walks, jogging and all that. That is really beautiful. Like in my city, it is um, over 20 degrees. The sun is out. It is really beautiful out there. So uh, personally, I'm happy to see the world gradually emerging from the lockdown. And it is our hope and prayer that uh, the coronavirus will be a thing of the past in the name of Jesus Christ. Today, I'll be discussing a topic I tag what is God's word? But before I dive right into it, I just want to let you know some fundamental things about God's word. Now, from the book of Psalms 119, we see a detailed description of what God's word meant to David. Who wrote that passage? There are five things we draw from Psalm 119, and they include number one, Trusting the word of God. Time and time again, David expresses his belief that the scriptures are true. Verse 151. He believes in them. Verse 66. He trusts in their reliability. Verse 42. He states in verse 160, and I quote, it says, The sum of your word is truth. The first step is key. If a believer doesn't really regard the word of God as being fully and entirely trustworthy, then none of the other steps that I will explain after this one will make any sense. This is why the church needs to be quick to deal with the repeated criticisms of the Bible that so often permeate our culture. Now, off to the second point, studying the word of God. David doesn't just believe the word. He is a student of the word. He learns from it. Now that's verse 73. He seeks it. Verse 155. He memorizes it. Verse 153. And regularly meditates on it. This step ought to naturally follow the first one. If God's word is true, then we ought to commit ourselves to being diligent studiers of the word. We need to embrace it with our minds as well as our hearts. Which brings me to the third point, using the word of God. It is one thing to believe and know the word of God. It is another thing to rely on it. To look at it as a guide during difficult times you know, and challenging uh, times of life. To lean on it for encouragement and hope. David repeatedly affirms that he uses the word of God as a counselor. You'll see that in verse 24. To give strength, 
verse 28, and to bring comfort in affliction, verse 50. He also states, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, verse 105. In short, the word of God is the very source of life for David, verse 156. Now, this reminds us, uh, you know, of a very important attribute of God's word. And that is, God's word is alive. It is powerful and active. When we talk about the attributes of scriptures, we must remember that it is more than just a true book of encyclopedias. No. It is also a living book. It is the place where the God of the universe meets us, meets you, and manifests himself. Now, point number four. Delighting in the word of God. What is amazing is that David takes, you know, he takes things one step further than we might expect. It's not just that he trusts studies and uses the word of God. He actually has affection for it. He has a deep emotional connectivity towards God's word. He loves God, as recorded in verse 159. He, in quote, rejoices at his word. You will see that in verse 162. The word is wondrous. That's that's a word he used in verse 18. It is better than thousands of gold and silver pieces, verse 72, and sweeter than honey to the mouth, verse 103. I am convinced that this is the missing piece for most believers today. For many, the Bible is viewed almost in an you know, authoritarian fashion. It is mechanical sterile tool that Christians are supposed to use. It's like taking your medicine, which is really sad. In contrast, David has passion, zeal, and excitement for the law and commandments of God. And the reason for this is not hard to find. David loves God's law not because he is a closet legalist. No, he loves God's law because the law reflects God's own nature and character. He loves God's law because he loves God. And when God is and what is like, you know what, I'll take that again. Basically, what I'm trying to say is David loves God. He loves God's law. And because he loves God's law, he loves God. So I see a kind of connection. There is a flow between him and God through the word of God. So for for David, the word of God is a bridge that connects God with man. And that is what he saw in God's word. And I pray that you begin to see it that way. So, Any Christian who says they love God but then despises God's law is living a life of contradiction. And unfortunately, we see it every day. Indeed, 
They are living a life that is opposite of Psalm 119. To love God is to love his law. To love God is to love his word. To love God is to deliberately take time to study God's word every day. Now, my last point, obeying the word of God. Now, not surprisingly, the prior four characteristics naturally lead to this last one, obeying the word of God. David repeatedly expresses his desire to actually obey God's law. He wants to follow it. He wants to keep it and he wants to fulfill it. In our world today, the concept of obeying the law is not a popular one. Many see this as contrary to grace. However, two things should be kept in mind. One, David is not keeping the law in order to end salvation. He is obeying out of love for God. He is obeying out of a heart of faith. Second, we should remember that Jesus himself was very much about obeying the law. Before we too quickly despise the concept of law-keeping, we should remember that Jesus delighted in keeping his father's law. Okay? So, indeed, Jesus, in all, embodies all five of these characteristics. He, he trusted, he studied, used, delighted in, and obeyed God's law. In fact, he did all these things, even more than the first David, that's the one who wrote the Psalms. While David certainly serves as, a, as an example of, you know, of what to do with God's word, Jesus is the ultimate example. One greater than David has come. And you know what? That is Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus loved God's word. So I'm going to bring this down to our case. I want to break this a little bit further. Likewise for you, you must learn to grow and love God's word. Jesus understood God's word and that gave him direction for his life and his ministry. Now, right from a tender age, now if you can remember, right from a very tender age, I believe at the age of 12, Jesus had already started to learn and study God's word to the extent that the teachers of the age were baffled at his wisdom and understanding. Let us look at Luke chapter 2, from verse 41 to 46. And I read, this says, Now, every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while, Jesus, uh, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his 
understanding and his answers. Now, that is, that is an amazing story for me. But then, how do you travel a day's journey and not knowing that your child is missing? Kind of reminds me of that uh, old school movie, Home Alone. You know, the parents were rushing, it was Christmas, they were rushing, and they only remembered <laughs> their son <coughs> when they were already on the plane going to France. So it's kind of like a very similar scenario, right? Yeah. They had traveled a day, left Jerusalem, a day's journey, and Jesus was missing, so they went back. And guess where they found him? They found him sitting in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And everyone who heard this boy, this 12-year-old boy, they were all amazed at his understanding and the answers that he gave. So he wasn't just giving a low-level kind of, he was giving answers that were of high, you know, of a high understanding for a boy of his age. Now, Jesus was only 12 years old when he had this experience. Now, let me ask you, <laughs> what were you doing at the age of 12? <laughs> well, let me try and remember. For me, what was I doing at the age of 12? I believe I was probably looking for the next, uh, well, there was no PlayStation at that time, but I know I was very much addicted to Game Boy and Nintendo, yes. That was all I knew. Go around and play, eat, play again, you know. But this was above 12. He already mapped out, God already mapped out his life for him sitting amongst the big boys of the time and, you know, having some adult conversation at the age of 12. But he was a boy who probably had started early to deliberately grow close to God's word by studying it, drawing strength from it, and living it daily. No wonder the Bible says in verse 51 of that same chapter, that Jesus began to grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So yes, believe it or not, your constant feeding on God's word will grow your spirit man. So Jesus understood the importance of God's word just before he started his ministry. You know, after 40 days of fasting, Jesus was hungry and the devil came to tempt him. Though he was physically exhausted and terribly hungry, Jesus showed his strength of character by not falling for the enemy's temptation of turning stone into bread. Now you must remember, Jesus had been preparing for this battle. He knew the devil would come. He knew this time was going to happen. And he started early to build his spiritual muscle to withstand the enemy's temptation. Now, that is what I call spiritual stamina. Unlike many of us who would fight temptations by entering prayer mode, speaking in tongues, and fighting hard to push the thought out of our heads, Jesus' only weapon against the enemy's temptation was the Word of God. Jesus had no need to burst into prayer to fight off that thought, no. Jesus understood clearly that the only way to beat the enemy was by the word of God. Now let us read an amazing account in Luke chapter 4 from verse 1. And I read, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, 
left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If only you worship me and bow down at my, at my feet, all of this will be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in your hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, when the devil had finished all these tempting, he left Jesus until an opportune time. This is an amazing scripture. There is, now, this scripture is loaded with so much fruit that we can learn from. It is also amazing to see that the devil understands scriptures because the devil quoted scriptures to Jesus. Now that part of taking him up to the temple and you know telling Jesus, oh, for it is written, uh, he will command his angel charge over you, was, was a scripture from the book of Isaiah. But right there, before Jesus, the devil quoted scriptures. So even the enemy knows the Bible. So I guess the enemy also came prepared because he was using the scriptures to tempt Jesus Christ. But thank God for Jesus. God understood that this battle had to be won. And so this battle was won for us. And which brings me to another valid point. To let you know that the battle for our souls has been raging since the time of Adam and Eve. Since the time Adam contemplated if he should eat from the forbidden fruit or not. The battle Adam and Eve faced at the creation of this world is still happening today. Many are contemplating if they should accept the temptations the world has got to offer. Fame, money, sex, women, drugs, you name it. Many have sold their souls for fame and popularity. It was this same, exactly this same mouth-watering offer the devil gave to Jesus in verse 5 and 6. You know, when the devil took Jesus to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world and had told Jesus, I will give you these kingdoms and the authority and splendor if you bow down and worship me. Now, if the devil could offer the kingdoms of the world to Jesus, 
he can offer it to anybody else. Trust me. So when I hear things in the world of music, when people say, you know, uh, devil had 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 had, had you know, they've, they've, they've sold their souls for, for for fame and popularity and for the world, there is some atom of truth to it. I believe it can happen. It has happened before. It happened to Jesus more than two thousand years ago. It can happen to anyone. So people have sold their souls for fame, for popularity, for 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 different things. But Jesus wasn't going to sell his birthright. And I thank God for that victory on that day. So basically, the word of God was Jesus' weapon against the enemy. Unlike many Christians who keep silent when the enemy tempts them, Jesus did not keep silent. Jesus responded back to the devil right there and then. It was not time to keep silent. I mean, Jesus talked back to the devil. And we too can take a cue from that example. You too ought to talk right back at the devil. Now, you talk back to the devil when he confronts you with your past mistakes. You talk back at the devil when he reminds you of your failures. You talk back to the devil when he tries to instill fear and doubt in your heart. God gave you a mouth, so you better start using it against the devil. Hallelujah. There is something about Jesus' first response to the devil that interests me a lot. Now, that response shows me some deep wisdom about those words. So when you look back in Luke chapter 4, from verse 3 to 4, the devil said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. I remember Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, take a moment and reflect on those words. Jesus shows us that apart from the sustenance we get from physical bread or food, well, you know, which is also equally important. But what is also equally important is spiritual sustenance. Jesus was meticulous when he used the word alone. Remember, he said, man shall not live on bread alone. So Jesus was meticulous when he used the word alone. It was used to show you that you also have a spiritual responsibility to your spiritual needs, just like your physical body. Man is a spirit that lives in a body. So it is not enough to take care of your physical body and pamper it and wash it and feed it and clothe it and dress it and paint it. That will be selfish. You also need to take care of your spiritual body. In the same way you take care of your physical body and the sustenance needed for your spiritual needs is the word of God. As Jesus rightly puts it, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Man, you know, this has been intense for me. I'm not sure if it has for you. You, you can always, you know, go back and rewind or, you know, what I've said, because I believe 
there were some truths, you know, some truths that that have that I have passed across to you that you just may need time to meditate on. I had to rush this because, uh, you know, I'm pressed for time. And, you know, and I am yet to scratch the surface. I still have so much to give about this experience, about the word of God. But I will stop here. But I promise you that I will continue in my next discussions when I come across your way. Okay, so relax. It's going to be a blessed week for you, okay? And I'm praying that the words that you have heard will open doors for you, will open opportunities, blessings, and more importantly, give you the spiritual stamina you need to face the enemy head on. And remember, don't keep silent. When those thoughts come, when those temptations come, you can talk back to the devil. Don't keep quiet. Don't go on playing music to distract yourself. The devil will come. Remember, you know, I, I read from the scripture. I'm going to go back again, you know, from Luke chapter 4. I read from 1 to 13. Now, the ending of that verse said, When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left Jesus until an opportune time. I underlined that part of the scripture. He left him until an opportune time. So don't go on, you know, distracting yourself when those temptations come. You know, it might help you. But remember, from where I just read, the devil will still come back. Remember, he left Jesus until the next opportunity for him to come will come. So when you do all of that, you're only pushing the inevitable. You must face the devil head on. Prepare yourself. Study the word of God. That is why the word of God is so, so, so important. Study the word of God. Know God for yourself. Build on your spiritual muscle. Build on your stamina. You take care of your physical body. Also take care of your spiritual body. Feed on God's word. Understand God's word. Meditate on God's word. This is the bread that Jesus was talking about when he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Physical bread is good, but spiritual bread is better. Okay? So feed yourself on, on God's word. When the devil reminds you of your failures, when he reminds you of your past, when he reminds you of your mistakes, you have a right, you have a spiritual right to talk back at the devil. Don't keep quiet. Talk back at him like Jesus did. And I promise you, your victory will be certain. Okay? So let us pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for opening my eyes to see how much I truly need your word to face every challenge the enemy throws at me. I ask for grace to feed daily on your word as I feed to maintain my physical form. Thank you for answering in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you see, I cannot wait for my wife to bring you another dynamic message to you next week. So please make sure to tune in. Let your friends know. Share this message if it has blessed you. Somebody out there just might need this message to improve and to encourage them in their spiritual work with God. Take care of yourself. We love you. God bless you.
God bless you. And I'm sure this message has blessed you as much as it has blessed me. Please like, subscribe, share, and leave a comment to let me know how you've been blessed by this message. Or if you'd like to email us, you can do so by writing us at info at walkinginpurpose.ca. Also, don't forget to follow our Instagram page, which is at walkinginpurposepodcast, and also share with as many as the Holy Spirit leads you to share with. God bless you and I'll see you next week.